Hey, and welcome to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. Here you'll find a teaching for your life from God's Word by Pastor Wes Aram. So, let's get to it. All right, grab your Bibles, open up to 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 30, either the hard copy you brought with you or on one of your electronic devices, that's fine, or on the uh, Bible in the, the pew holder in front of you. That's totally good. 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to be there in just a minute, okay? Uh, so I want us to see because we're going to walk through some verses there together. Say, how's that tie in with prayer? Trust me, you'll see. It's, uh, it works great. So, as I said, we've been working through uh, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and by proxy us, because if we are followers of Christ, this is for us as well. And so we're going to wrap that up tonight. So just by way of reminder, let me just read through this. It's uh, recorded for us in Matthew 6. That's the passage that we have been looking at uh, in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13 says this. This then is how Jesus is speaking. This then is how you should pray. Our Father. First thing it tells us is that we are to approach God based on relationship. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this isn't for you. This is what's waiting for you. God wants you to know Him. And at the end of our time together tonight, you're going to have an opportunity, if you don't know Christ, to step into that relationship with Him, the most important decision you will ever, ever make. Our Father, God wants us to approach Him intimately. Our Father, who aren't in heaven. Heaven, a place of position, a place of power, a place of perspective. God sees and knows what we don't. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. That means that we are to be in awe and overwhelmed at who God is and His name represents His person. Your kingdom come. Lord, we want your rule in our lives and in this place. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. As we saw in our study previously, that phrase, your will be done, is not a concession. Like, okay, God, you know, if you won't do it my way, I guess you do it your way. Your will be done. It's not that spirit at all. It's a battle cry. God, your will be done. I want your will. I want what you want here in my life, in the lives of people around me. I want your will. Why? Your will on earth as it is in heaven. As it is in heaven. Heaven is a place where God's will is done perfectly all the time. So how do you think things are going in heaven right now? Think they're having a bad day? Nope. Nobody has a bad day in heaven ever, ever, ever. Things you'll never hear in heaven. Boy, I thought that would be better. You're never going to hear that, right? Because it's perfect, perfect joy and peace and rest and love and exuberance. That's what we want here. That's why Jesus said, I want you to pray for that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It says, give us today our daily bread. That means we need to depend on God for everything. We need Him. He knows what we need, but we need to depend on Him. We need to know that we need Him. Because we do. Every single day, God, give me what I need to fulfill your will for my life. Daily bread. And forgive us our debts. This has nothing to do with the forgiveness we receive at salvation. Okay? Once you invite Christ in, all your sins have been paid for. This has to do with our fellowship and our intimacy. You know, it's a family thing. God, I've, I've offended you. I don't want to do that. I want to make things right. Please forgive us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As we forgive those who have sinned against us. Once we understand how deeply we have forgiven... God will enable us to forgive others and lead us not into temptation. God is a God who leads. We looked at this last week. He's a God who leads. Say, God, we want to be led away from the stuff that's going to ruin us, okay? But deliver us from evil. We need you to deliver us. God, when we are assaulted by Satan and the world and stuff that's coming at us all day long, Lord, we need you to deliver us. And he will do that. He can do that. He is a deliverer. Now, 
the last, which brings us to our last phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now in some of your versions, that, known as the doxology, that doesn't appear. Some versions of the Bible it does appear, other versions it doesn't appear. What's up with that? Without getting too deep into it, let me give you the short answer. For those translations that don't include that phrase, they say it's because it doesn't appear in the earliest Greek manuscripts. Greek was the original uh, language of the New Testament, so they say it doesn't appear, therefore they do not include it in the earliest 4th to 6th century Greek manuscripts that we have. Those that do include it, those translators say, well, you know what, this phrase and semblances of this phrase have been found in early church writings you know, as early as the 2nd century, and most Greek manuscripts of the New Testament do include it. So they say that's why we believe it should be included. So there's some support you know, on both sides of the fence. So where does that leave us? Well, let me tell you where it leaves me. I have no problem teaching on it tonight. You know why? Because these truths, as we will see, are found throughout the entire Bible, and they're truths that God wants us to know, and truths that we need to know. So buckle up. Here we go. All right. So it says, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. For thine, that means, God, these belong to you. What we're about to look at, God, these belong to you. For thine is the kingdom. Kingdom has to do with God's rule, his ultimate authority. That is what God has. He has ultimate authority. He rules and reigns, okay, over every realm. Physical realm, earthly realm, heavenly realm, spiritual realm, all realms. He rules over everything. His authority is absolute. Let me give you a few scriptures. Revelation 4, 11 says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. God rules what he creates. The creator rules what he creates. It's his kingdom. Psalm 145.13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. Psalm 9.7, The Lord reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. The Bible, this is just a small sample, by the way. There's many, 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 many more verses. You can do a, a Google search on it. Don't go to a Google search. Go to, uh, go to a good Bible app, you know. Uh, go to one of those. And just look up the Word. You'll see it's throughout, throughout Scripture. And so you see that God's rule, His kingdom is absolute. He rules and reigns. Here's the, here's the great thing about that for us who are Christians. Once you invite Christ into your life, you are translated from the kingdom of the enemy of darkness and you're translated and moved into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. Colossians 1.13 says this, For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. If you're a believer, that's the kingdom you belong to today. That's the kingdom I belong to today. So, for us to live... For this world and this kingdom doesn't make any sense. Our citizenship, according to Philippians 3.20, is in heaven, right? That's where we belong. This world is not our home. This earth is not our home. So to live for it is foolish. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. For example, 
Let's say that you're looking for a new car and somebody comes up to you and they go, hey man, I got this great deal for you. And you go and you look at the car and you're like, man, this thing looks awesome. This looks amazing. You give it a little drive. Wow, this is incredible. But you're like, you know what? I'm just not sure. I'm not really a great mechanic. So you go to the Millers because they are. And you say, hey, would you help? Would you just take, take a look at this car? And they come back, they go, hey man, I got bad news for you. This car is a dog. It is a lemon. It is bad. It's gonna cost you three times as much money fixing it over the next six months. And it probably won't even last a year. Would you buy the car? No, of course not. Why? Because of what you know. It doesn't make any sense for you to buy the car because of what you know. When I use this example with college students, especially college guys, I look at guys and I go, hey, if you had this girl who was super hot and she wanted to date you, you know, and you're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. But then you find out she's a psycho, right? And an ax murderer, would you still date her? And inevitably, there's one guy in the crowd that goes, well, how hot is she, Wes? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> thank you. Punch yourself in the face, okay? Because that's the stupidest thing you can ever say. Of course not. Of course we wouldn't do that, right? Because of what you know, because of the information you have. It's the same for us. We know that this world is passing away. And to live for it when all of it is going to burn makes no sense. That is our home. That is the kingdom that we need to live for. The, the priorities and the loves and the agenda of our king. Not this, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, listen, you live for this world. You know, if you've got talent and skills and the right connections, you can string a lot of great experiences together and you'll end up with a lot of stuff. And guess what? You'll end up with a wasted life. And when it all comes down, and when you step over that threshold of death, like all of us will, into eternity, by the way, your life doesn't end, it just moves locations, okay? You're either going to be forever connected with God in heaven or separated from Him in hell. I didn't say that. The, the Bible said God tells us that because He wants us to know the truth. And if we live for this world, we're going to stand before the Lord to give an account for a life that we have wasted. And because we know that now, we don't have to do that. No matter where you are in your life, I'm in my life. If I'm heading in that direction, I can slam on the brakes and go, I don't want that. I want to live for this king. For thine is the kingdom and the power. Power means that God holds all power. His power is total and absolute. No one can stand against him. No one can thwart his plans. Let me give you a couple scriptures on that. Jeremiah 32, 17 says this, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. Daniel 4.35. Daniel 4.35. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He, God, does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? God has total, absolute, unlimited power. Think about that for a moment. Unlimited power. You know what that means? Words like hard and easy don't apply to God. They don't apply to God. One thing's as easy as the next for God because He has unlimited power. That means the situation that you're in right now that you might be struggling with, guess what? God is more powerful than that. He holds more power than that. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. God holds two, two types of glory. First is intrinsic glory. Intrinsic glory. That has to do with who He is. All of His characteristics and His attributes in perfection together of who he is as God. That's his intrinsic glory. Revelation 5.13 says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Intrinsic value, worth, 
glory that he has in and of himself. The second type of glory is ascribed glory. That means that is the reverence and the awe and the acclaim that we are to give to God as his created beings, that we deserve to give to him. One scripture on that, Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Romans eleven thirty six. That's a powerful doxology. That is who God is. That is our God. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That means there's no expiration date. It never ends. Who God is and what he holds doesn't wax and wane. Is not affected by the circumstances of our life. It will never, ever end. This is our God. This is our God. Jesus said, pray to him. Pray to him. This is your God and there is no one like him. David, King David in the Old Testament, led his people in a, pray that echo, in a prayer that echoes all of this. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 13. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 13 says this. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Pow! That is a mic drop right there, man. He was just laying it out. Here's, here's what's wild about David, is that he not only said that, he actually believed it. He believed that this is who God was, and so he applied that truth to his life, and it was a game changer in some of the most pivotal moments of his life. We're going to look at one right now in 1 Samuel. Okay, Let the prayer that he just prayed echo in the back of your head as we read this, because this is the God that he believed, and this is how he applied that truth to his life. 1 Samuel 30, David and his men had a bunch of guys, fighting men, 600 of them, okay? He reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites, those are the bad guys, had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. David's home base was Ziklag, with all their families and their possessions and their, all the stuff. That was the home base. The Amalekites came in, scorched earth, burned it, took everything that was valuable, took all of the women and the, and the children as prisoners. They didn't kill any of them, they took them as prisoners of war and as slaves. Verse 3, When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoman uh, from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of uh, Nabal of Carmel. Listen, can you imagine? You're off with a group of guys fighting and you come home. You come home to your home and it's burned to the ground. It's just smoldering ashes and everything that was important to you had been carried off. Your family, your wife, your kids had been carried off. Can you imagine the emotional, overwhelming sense of sorrow and grief 
that just landed on you and just blew up all over you like a powder keg. That's what was happening here. They cried until they couldn't cry anymore. And David was at the head of the pack. He lost everything too. All the people loved too. But then it gets worse for David. Look at verse 6. David was greatly distressed because, here it is, the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and his daughters. These guys were looking for someone to blame. David, their leader, who had gotten them all together and gone off you know, in battle, they, they were looking at him and they were going to stone him. They were going to kill him. So, how would you respond? How would I respond? How did David respond? Did he get angry? Did he get mad? Did he shake his fist at God? I can't believe you let this happen to me, God. I'm trying to you know, live for you. I'm trying to do your stuff. And this is what happens. All this is taken care of. And now, if it's not bad enough, I'm losing everything. Everybody's lost everything. And now, these guys want to kill me? Are you kidding me? He didn't, he didn't do any of that. He didn't run. He didn't do any of that. Look at what it says in the rest half of that verse. But David found strength in the Lord his God. That word found strength, it's a single word, uh, also is, might be translated in your version as encouraged. David went to the Lord and got strength. He went to the Lord and got support. He went to the Lord and got courage from God. This was the God who he proclaimed. This is God who he knows is an everlasting kingdom, who holds all the power, who holds all the majesty and all the glory. David knew all that. So rather than run, right, or just flat out give up, he went to his God and he got strength Amen. and he got renewed mm-hmm. and he got what he needed. Let me, just, let me just pause right there for a second. How often do we forget that we have at our disposal the greatest resource in the entire universe, the king of the universe? If you're a Christian, he is your heavenly father. How often do we forget he has more power and more ability and more wisdom and more knowledge and more desire to help than we will ever, ever, ever need? And yet, when we run into a problem, big or small, how often do we not go to him first? How often do we first run to our our favorite coping mechanism? You know, maybe it's food, maybe it's shopping, maybe it's TV, maybe it's the internet, maybe it's pleasure. Or we run to people. Hey, I need your help. I need your support. I need you to hear me out. I need, you, I need you to help me. I need you to listen to me. You know, and I need, I, need, I need this from you. Or we just go to ourselves. Like, I'll figure this out. I got this wired. I got enough ability. I got enough connections. I can do this. How often do we do all that instead of going to God first? Who is the king of the universe? And we have him as our heavenly father. That's why Jesus says, seek first. Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom. Him. We go to Him first. Now you might be sitting here going, you know, Wes, I've tried that. Honestly, I've tried that and it didn't do any good. Nothing happened. Can I say this kindly to you? Then do it again. Go back there again. And this time, open your hand and release all of your expectations that you come to God with. I don't know about you, but that's often my problem. I come to God with a problem and then I come to Him with a hundred ways that He needs to fix it. And they're all my ideas. And I'm like, God, here it is. This is what you need to do. This is what needs to happen. These are my expectations. And then I use that as a measuring stick. And when God doesn't deliver the way I think he should, then I get mad at him. And I'm like, that's not worth it. How stupid is that? How crazy is that? 
And yet we do that. So can I encourage you as I encourage myself? When we go to God, if you've died that, go to Him again. Release your expectations. Say, God, I want what you want. Your will. I want your will. Your will be done in this. I want what you want. That's what David did. That's what David did. So he went to God. He found strength. We pick up the story. Verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake it? Um, the ephod is, was part of the high priest's um, garb, and it was used uh, to uh, hear from God uh, and get counsel and get direction. We're not exactly sure how that happens, but we know it does happen because we see it several times in Scripture. Here is an example of that. So God responds to them, per, per, responds to David, pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Notice what God doesn't give David. He doesn't give him a five-step plan on how to do it. doesn't give him every step. He just gives him the next step. You know what? When God gives you the next step, take the next step. Don't, don't try to get every step. Just take the next step. Just take the next step. Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Now watch what happens. David and the 600 men with him came to the Bezor ravine where some stayed behind. For 200 men uh, were too exhausted to cross the ravine. But David and 400 men continued the pursuit. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat. Part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was, by the way, this is how you know the Bible's real. It gives details. It gives details. Did we really need to know what the, what the, the guy ate? Was this a recipe? It's not a recipe. It gives details because this is how you know the Bible's a real deal. Because it gives details just like a real account would give details. So that was a side note. So, they found the Egyptian in the field. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake. And he ate and was revived. For he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, To whom do you belong and where do you come from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. Those were the bad guys who burned David's town down, his uh, home base. My master abandoned me, he said, when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev, the Ketherites, and the territory belonging to Judah and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David's place. David asked him, Can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, Swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. Do you see what happened here? David just took the next step of obedience. And then God strategically placed this Egyptian dude, right, who, uh, who was, you know, famished. David revives him, and he gives them intel that they desperately need in order to have success. Only God could do that. Only God can do that kind of stuff. Listen, you never know how God's going to answer your prayers. You never know how he's going to arrange the details of your life. Just keep being obedient. Just keep doing the next right thing. Who knows? Maybe an Egyptian slave will show up at your door and say, give me some figs. I don't know, right? We don't know what's going to happen, but God arranged this to happen. So, so he, he said, David said, yep, I'll do that. So verse 16, he led David down and there they were scattered over the countryside eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they'd taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk till the evening of the next day. That means we have a role to play in our obedience to God. And none of them got away. None of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder, or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back 
And he took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. Did you get that? Not only did they get everything back, but they also got an abundance of more stuff because they took what these guys had taken from other enemies. David went to God. The situation looked so desperate. But he found strength in the Lord, his God. He remembered who God was. He went to him. God gave him direction. God gave him the intel he needed. God gave him the strength to fight. God gave him victory. And he gave him additional blessing. And, and God showed himself strong on behalf of David and his men. And they won a battle that I dare say they never, ever would forget. They got to see God operate in ways that were only God. How awesome is that? That is, can I, can I say this, this, this reverently? God is the total package. He is the source of everything we need and he is the one we need. That is the big truth here. Right? The big truth is this. The help that David needed was found in the one that he needed. The help that David needed was found in the one that he needed. Yours is the kingdom, power and the glory forever and ever. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? The enemy wants you to believe it's not true. That your circumstances are more powerful. The stuff around you is greater than God. It's not true. And as we pray this prayer, and as we speak these truths in our heads, in our hearts, out of our lips, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. As we do that, we are reminding ourselves of what is true. We are rehearsing the truth to ourselves that we need to hear right where we are. Right there in your mess, man. Right there in your mess. God is saying, mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Right there in your hard place, right there in your confusing place, in your doubting place, in your questioning place, in your empty place, in your lonely place, in your angry place, in your hostile place, in every place, right there. God is right there. Your Heavenly Father is right there saying, I have all authority. I have all power and all strength. I have all majesty and worth. And I am bending all of that for your good, my child. That is what is true. And as we pray that, and as we speak it, we remind ourselves of what is really, really true. Because there's going to be days when it doesn't look true. And there's going to be days when it doesn't feel true. But can I tell you something? And I say this to myself as I say it to you. Our temporary emotions and our temporary circumstances do not alter reality one bit. They don't alter this truth. They can't touch it. Because it's God. And we need to remind ourselves of that. And we need to remember, listen, as I'm, as I'm praying for us and as I'm praying for this church and as we're looking for a building, you know, I'm like, this week, as I'm going through this, I'm like, God has enough power to give us a building. He has enough power to give us a building. He has enough power to do, fill in the blank, man. He can do that. We won't always feel that. Our circumstances can come crushing in and we're just like, God, where are you? We speak this truth and we pray it because this is what is real. This is what is true. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. 
Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Just take, just take a moment silently right there where you are and just respond to God. Whatever He talked to you about, take a moment and just talk to Him. Whatever that is, whatever the Spirit of God spoke to your heart tonight, just take a moment and just respond to Him. He is so worthy. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me speak to someone here that might not know Christ. You don't have a relationship with God. You can't say, our Father who art in heaven, because God's not your Father, because you've never stepped into that relationship with Him. You've been good. You've gone to church maybe, done a lot of stuff, but that's not enough. The Bible tells us that we're sinners. We're separated from God. The penalty for sin is death. And either we can pay that ourselves forever in a place of justice and judgment called hell, we can let Jesus pay it for us, which is why he came to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, your sin, my sin. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but will have everlasting life. Everlasting life is a relationship with God. It's a home in heaven. It starts the moment you invite Christ in. If you're here tonight, or if you're listening to this online, and like, that's what I need. I need to know for sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I need, I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, then just tell him. Let me invite you to pray, pray a prayer after me, not out loud in your heart. Just mean the words as your own. Prayer is the way that God has given us to voice our heart's desire to him. So silently just pray this. Say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe you died for me that you have eternal life to give me. And I want that. I want you. So I turn from my sin. I repent. I don't want it anymore. I turn to you. Come into my life. I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. I will follow you. I'm all yours. I'm all yours. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. But if you just prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want to remember you in a closing prayer that I'm going to give right now. So if you say, oh, Wes, I prayed it, I meant it. I want you to just raise your hand for a second so I can see it. With no one looking around but me, because I want to pray for you. Somebody prayed for me, I want to pray for you. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to just raise your hand and say, Wes, I just prayed it, I meant it, pray for me, man. I just asked Jesus into my life. God, thank you for your truth. Thank you for who you are. Lord, may we never, ever, ever forget that. May we leave from this place tonight encouraged that you are our God. There is no one like you. You never change. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. May that radiate through us this week, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. To connect with us and to get more encouraging biblical content, go to vcb.church.